0: This is The Next Turn, the home of conversations about skiing, ski racing, and sport. I'm your host, Martin Wilson, and after a lifetime as an athlete and a coach, and with a deep love of skiing, I wanted to take a deep dive and conduct honest conversations with the sport's most successful athletes, coaches, and forward thinkers. Join me in my pursuit of better, to be better coaches, better athletes, better parents, and better fans. This week on The Next Turn, a conversation with Olympic gold medalist Michelle Jacin of Switzerland. Michelle. Hello. Michelle, thanks so much for doing this. This is so great. I'm excited. <laughs> Welcome to The Next Turn. Thanks so much for joining us. And again, thanks to last week's guest, Alice Merriweather, for joining us. And thank you all who have shared your feedback with us and your own thoughts of the day. Um, it was a lot of great feedback. And again, I thought Alice shared a lot of herself and we're all better for hearing it. This week, we have Michelle Jacin, Swiss national team member, Olympic champion, and all sorts of good stuff. But more importantly, I am joined right now with uh, Jeff Vibert and... Kara is joining us as well. Jeff, how are you first?
1: Fantastic. Martin, really good. You? Great. Thank you very much. So I'm really excited to introduce Kara Williams, my friend and colleague from Georgian peaks in Collingwood, Ontario or the blue mountains, former big mountain skier, big mountain guide, Whistler, extremely Canadian, all that's good stuff. Came back to her roots in Thornbury, Ontario. Now a mom of two ski racers and, uh, an advocate for women's, uh, women in skiing. So Kara.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Um, I'm super excited to be a a panelist on the next turn and I'm really excited to join you, especially for this episode. Um, Michelle, Michelle is uh, an incredible athlete. Um, and she's just catching fire. Uh, super, super impressed with her skiing lately. Um. And I can't
1: wait to get this started. Yeah, she's having quite a year, Jeff, huh? Oh, dude, like just remarkable year. And and I don't know, Martin, like, I don't know if it has something to do with your interview with her in the summer and she just it must be clearly Yeah, because she just like, like Kara said, caught fire after and like, like last week, Kranz Kagora, you know, second and third and back to back GSs. Uh she's been on the podium in a couple of slums. Her first career win this year. First career win after so many years in the World Cup. Other um, than her
2: gold medal at the Olympics.
1: Yes. Olympic gold medal. Yeah, let's not forget that one. Yeah, she's, uh, it was great. I it,
0: it, She's really an amazing woman. Let me tell you first how I met her. I met her in Sauce Fe. I was there um, a few years back training with a group. And this was just after she won her Olympic gold medal. And, but uh, the young girls I was with didn't really know who she was, and we were moving in the hotel, that, and we happened to be staying in the same hotel with her for three weeks. God bless her. And I saw her outside after training, helping these young girls, like move their luggage in. And I just thought this is a really cool person. <laughs> Never mind, Olympic champion. And over the course of those three weeks staying with her, um, we we started chatting and talking a little bit. And I asked her to talk with my girls and. Um, she ended up giving some time there and chatting with these young girls and it was really cool. So I called her up this summer and we had a great chat, a long chat. We talked about a lot of stuff, but I wanted to approach it in a little different fashion. Um, and ask her, I wanted to start asking her about her family a little bit. She's got, um, not only her success in her family, but her sister, Dominique, Olympic gold medicine or Olympic gold medalist, um, brother Mark, a World Cup skier for many, many years. So I wanted to start off the interview and just ask what that family's like. I think there's something to be learned there. So that's where I started. I hope you enjoy. Here's Michelle Justine on the next turn. I gotta think that your household with your sister and your brother I gotta think that your mom and dad are something special.
3: They are. <laughs> that that that's a, that's a perfect way to to put it. Um, yeah, it's it's so amazing to see. For me now that I maybe understand a little more about it step by step as I see younger generations come up, um, how they how they raised us and. And they did such an incredible job by, um, yeah, getting us into the sport with with such so much love and passion and excitement, and yeah, it, it's it's absolutely fascinating to see because I see so many young athletes overpushed from their parents or like, yeah, like doing it, but but somehow also a little bit for the wrong reasons sometimes, and 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 just. Yeah, maybe also get frustrated way too early, and and then I see what our parents did and how they how they made the incredible thing work that we all like n- n- not not one of us um, wanted to wanted out. We all were so committed to skiing because we love it so much, and, and yeah, that's that's really cool to see and and to realize more and more as I'm getting older how. What, what a great work they did, even though sometimes they regret it a
0: little bit. <laughs> it's
3: pretty scary for them.
0: <laughs> just what I got th- as a parent, ski racing can be incredibly tough. Yep. And just watching the, the extreme highs that your family's produced and the extreme lows that <laughs> your family's produced, you, you three, your three kids what what what's your mom like
3: yeah well sometimes there's a lot of drama but you can't say she has no reason you know <laughs> yeah yeah understandable and there are statistics that that say that uh, every uh, like every year 30 percent of racers are, are or ski racers are injured so my sister always says one two three <laughs> and and yeah that's that's very difficult for her because usually what happens if you have three kids in in one sport one is injured one is performing great and one has a really low <laughs> time and and that's hard you know to to juggle kind of with all the feelings and emotions and to keep everyone like not losing their mind and and uh, yeah, not lose your own mind, which <laughs> would be very important too. so yeah, they they they're doing a, a great job in in this, and and my dad is is uh, super cute because he's just he was much more um, su- success orient oriented. Mm-hmm. when we were younger than now. I feel like when we passed U16, so when I was 16 years old from then on, everything I did was just amazing from him, for so, him. And when I was younger, he just wanted me to do my best. Yeah. And if I didn't get my best, he got pissed sometimes. But no matter the result, like he was standing in the finish area and like telling me what I did wrong in the first five K- turns that he saw from the start. Until another mom came and said, come on, she's in the lead. And he's like, ah, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. um, still, you could have been better, dear. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and if I was 15 for 20, 20th or whatever, but I skied really well, he was absolutely happy. But when I didn't ski at my best, he got pissed, which I like when I, he saw that I wasn't concentrated or I was just yeah in my dreamy state that I enter sometimes but when i got older from 16 or 17 on he just let us free somehow you know and and just let us go mm-hmm. and and then everything i did was was amazing and and that i sometimes was super frustrated or after my first injury i was so sad that i didn't that it didn't work well but he still thought that my whole performance is amazing so I think that's that's a really important key in in our family and and that's also what helps my mom because my mom just wants us to be healthy and my our dad is is holding everything more or less together, and I think they're really doing a, a great job in all of this.
0: That's incredible, thank you when when you talk of that family I guess it's the same as a team, right? A, a team's got a third that's it hurt, third that's doing well and and third that's injured. And you've got the coaches that sort of manage it all the best they can, yeah. um, similar to your family, your your mom and dad and and your brother and sister. Is it the same, do you engage your family? Are there, Are there parallels of how you work as a family unit and how you work as a team? Or is it different because you have to love your family and you don't have to love your team? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I think there are similarities, but it's also different because in a family the connection and and the the emotional um level is is extremely high and there are there's a lot of stuff that just yeah, we we kind of bring to the kitchen table when we come home, and and if you see that, it's it's so fascinating because when I was younger, and and my my sister and my brother were still li- were living at home, and and um, every time we came back, the one that came came back home um, was talking throughout the whole dinner for hours. Well, maybe not my brother, but my sister and I did. <laughs> <laughs> Our brother less, <laughs> but even him, you know, and like the first day home, you have to. To get everything out and and that's something that's yeah they had to hold so much space um for us because yeah you're, you're you've been gone a week or, or a month or whatever and and then you come home with a bunch of emotions and feelings and stories and things and and you just bring it out and your parents have to hold space and, and listen to everything so i think that's that has been very exhausting for them too but they they yeah they always did it and they still do and yeah they're they are they became really great listeners i don't know if they always were great listeners but they had to become (laughs)
0: um are are your coaches good listeners
3: i'd say some of them and I feel like our best coaches are the best listeners or the best listeners are the best. So that's where, yeah. yeah. And the coach um, i the most with, um, he's just, sometimes I'm not even sure if he's still in the conversation with me because he can just not say anything for two minutes. And I've, I've learned to know him and, and then I, I'll just wait. And he listens, and he processes, and, and then he thinks about what he wants to say. And sometimes that takes a couple minutes, and I'm just like, there what's coming? <laughs> and I think that's one of the most important things for me as I'm, I'm the contrary, you know, as you realize throughout this conversation again. I, I can talk so much, and sometimes it just blubbers yeah. out, and it's like, ah! so much energy and 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 stuff and he really helps me to to get this to the to the point (laughs) and and help me focus a lot what
0: what level of ownership are you taking in your programming from physical testing to or physical workouts to um days on snow what you're working on obviously as an all-around athlete um there's a lot of complications or, or things to consider with with training what you're training and how your body's feeling how, how much are you involved in that process
3: I think I'm I'm involved a lot maybe a lot more than many other athletes and I think a couple of years ago I really stepped into that and and took the responsibility because I realized no one else will do that for me. <laughs> and and also it's my life and it's my career and and I have to do this, you know. And actually that's when when a lot of things started to happen and I went when I improved a lot. And I prefer to, to do most of my, my physical training on my own with Luca because I don't really like have having three coaches standing around me when I do a squat and looking at me because it makes me freak out (laughs) so yeah uh, there's a lot of of responsibility there and I started to I had like everything I feel for one or two years which was too much also on this side and but I had to really yeah I think that was a good there was a lot of learning in this and and now I, I can step by step give some responsibility to my coaches to um, yeah the people around me again um to but
0: on your terms
3: yeah on my terms and to on always on the yeah to, to to have more energy you know to to not lose so much energy thinking about things i shouldn't be thinking about but still i think it was really important to have that responsibility and to learn a lot of of like planning and how to handle many different things to be able to give it away again but like in little pieces
0: <laughs> yeah like and give away the parts that you want to give away
3: absolutely
0: how did you get to that point like that's when you talk to yourself and alice world cup athletes best in the world they weren't always like they. They take ownership in their programs. Yeah. A sixteen-year-old can't, or can they? Or what should that evolution be? Or is it a switch that all of a sudden one day you take care of your own shit, or or is it okay? I need to take care of it a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. How how was that evolution?
3: Well, I think in our federation, there's when you're young, there's not enough um ownership for the athletes i think it's too structured i mean that's great they have all the possibilities but i feel it it's it's not enough uh, ownership and and like self how you say that like they're not putting that much of themselves into it because they don't really have to you know you you don't get to that point when you're young and I feel as a young athlete, of course you cannot do the planning and, and things, but there have to be possi- yeah possibilities to give the athletes more responsibility because that's when they realize, do I really want it or don't I? And, and if it's a no, well, it, it isn't. And, and that's totally fine. And then you do something else that, that your biggest calling is for, but, if you can answer that with a big yes, then, then you, do, um, you can do so much more. Like your potential just in one instant grows by 50%, you know, yeah. because then it's not like, okay, we're doing that because the coach has said so, but, but it's, I want to do this and, and I'm going to do it now with, with everything I have. And I think, yeah, that's something a little underestimated.
0: What do you do with shitty days? what do you, like what do you do in the days that you don't want to do it Are, do you have any of those
3: i have of course yeah. <laughs> like everyone i have a lot of them but yeah I'm, I'm sometimes it would be better if i would not do it then. but usually i'm i'm on the contrary side i can push myself through a lot of pain and through a lot of not feeling very good and and just go and keep going even more so for me that's that's really hard to answer and I, that's actually where i i need a coach and that's where i gave away the most responsibility to have me handled let's say like that on on bad days or or like low energy days or stuff like that because that's usually when i stop taking stop take a step back to see okay you're tired uh, maybe the workouts the last couple of days have been very intense and you just have to to relax and because that's what i should be doing and i would say okay i'm not strong enough i have to work out harder <laughs> and and that's usually a little contrary but i'm, I'm learning step so, by step but i think the the, the bad shitty days are the most important to work with coaches
0: Say that again, <laughs> the, the shitty days
3: the the shitty days are are the most important for the coaches, you know for the work you do with the with the athletes, because everyone's great on a great day, and you don't have to to do that much. but as I said, for me, the most important thing for a coach is to keep me excited, even if if I hate the day, like you stand up with the wrong leg and and everything sucks you had a bad coffee <laughs> right? and yeah and, and and you get out and it's just horrible no matter even if the sun is shining it's just there uh. and that's when a, a coach has to get you out of your mind and into your body again and and keep with that make you excited about what you have the possibility to do and and that's yeah i really feel like that's the, the most important thing
2: Welcome back to The Next Turn. When Michelle Jazeen won the Olympic gold medal in the Alpine Combined in February 2018 at Pyeongchang, she had an incredible story uh, to go along with it. Um, The story was so great, in fact, that she wrote a book in four languages entitled A True Athlete. Uh, I really enjoy the next part of this interview where Martin gets to dive in a little bit uh, with Michelle and, uh, and talk a little bit about her experience and, and get to the bottom of what really happened and the story behind her Olympic gold medalist.
0: What's the difference in your mind between mental training and mindfulness?
3: Well, there are huge differences, but in the end, it's the same. Okay. <laughs> Is that understandable? That's
0: a, that's a great answer. <laughs>
3: Yeah, because I feel like this year when I finally um, was able to to get my first podium in Lienz in slalom, which I've been running after for eight, seven years, exactly. I think it, it was exactly seven years since I, I did my first World Cup slalom race, which was my first World Cup race ever. Yeah. And after 50 something or 60 something like a lot (laughs) I've been skiing very well for years and I had a lot of problems because when I skied well I went out all the time and and I struggled so much in slalom to have the confidence again and to be to be calm at the start and and to be completely where I need to be and in Lienz I was at the start and I felt like there could have been like 500 bombs around me, I wouldn't even have recognized because I was so in the moment and and absolutely mindful or or I prefer heartful, like really living in the moment and not in the mind, you know, just whoosh, there where where I wanted to be
0: in the heart, not so, the mind.
3: Yeah, and not like which I've always been in slalom for many years, but in in the end, I I was just free of all these thoughts and and everything and in the end that's what you're looking for in mental training i think because if you're in that state of mind you can do everything you want (laughs) absolutely everything (laughs) and and it will be fine in the end and and that's it's not easy to get there and i i'm sure we will all not be there as much as we want to, because it's it's a wonderful place to be, but yeah that's that's the goal of mental training, so yeah, I feel like we're we're always looking for that
0: that that's great. A lot of people see it as something different. I love that explanation that you gave how it's the same thing. it's getting to the right frame of mind to perform and that yeah. can be from how you inspect a course, from how you interact with people on that day who you ride the chairlift with to you know did you go for a hike in nature the day before yeah (laughs) right yeah it it can be
3: actually i i forgot my my soles like the the in the inlayers that that morning and it didn't even bother me you know i was there and and i got a little nervous in the morning i wanted to put everything on quick and then i realized oh i that's a, a pretty important piece I'm missing right now, and I just had to to laugh somehow because I felt like, okay, well, why are you freaking out already again? Or like, why are you on the edge to to ah uh, hyperventilating? Yeah, it's dead because I wasn't like that, but why are you getting into seriousness already? I mean, come on, <laughs> it's there's no problem, and my tech brought them to me and. Yeah, it just felt that calm because I could kind of step, take a step back, and see myself, and be like, "Well, it's it's not that serious at all." And and if any thoughts came up, even either good or bad, like seeing myself um, get through the finish with green light, or see myself straddle, which I always have that those thoughts, um, I just took a step back and was like. Yeah, come on. It's just my mind um, doing some, some stupid joke on me, actually, by creating those images, um, which aren't even real. I, it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny to see how your mind has an, a big influence on you, on, mostly on, on race days, and for me, mostly on slalom race days.
0: <laughs> um, a lot of people would think that you're... Well, maybe, I, here's the question if was this the case when you won your gold medal in the super combined was this like was was your frame of mind dialed in were was everything lined up were you peaking at the right time or was it one of those things that you just you were in the right heart and, and you gave it hell and everything came out well and i guess the other question is is that to you your most incredible memory or best day so far on snow.
3: Okay, so first <laughs> um we actually wrote a book about it because the story is is insane. Yes. <laughs> and if anyone wants to read it, uh yeah, it's it's on my um on my homepage you can order it.
0: What's the name of the book?
3: A, a, a true athlete.
0: A tr- oh, that's right. Okay, 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 okay. I've heard quotes from
3: yeah, and it's four in four languages. So it's great to learn another language. It's in English, um, German, French, and Italian. Did you
0: write them all in mean, all no, languages? No. Do you speak them all?
3: No, no. We, yeah, I speak them all, but uh, I wrote. The, we wrote the German version, and then we let it translate and and checked it like a hundred times. But yeah. no, know, I that's not that, that would be far from my possibilities. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I. I was peaking at the perfect time. Um, I was 200% ready on the day of the downhill, <laughs> which was the day before the combined. And um, after the first jump, I, I don't know if you remember uh, how the downhill was. I, I mean, I remember it, it was so amazing. Um, so the, in the first pitch, you you took more than 100 kilometers per hour enough in, in like a couple of seconds. Uh-huh. and. It was like this hanging pitch where you had the bumps. And we think that I burned my ski very badly there mm-hmm. uh, because the, the the edges were heating up a lot and in a very short time. And then you went down back and over the first jump and with the landing of the first jump, you can see that I hit the ground very hard.
0: And the chunk of the ski came out, right?
3: Exactly. <laughs> and there was a piece like that underneath my bindings on both skis that was just out. And and you could have put a a headphone cable in it. It it was insane. I have never seen anything like that. I mean, I have seen burned skis, but not missing chunks (laughs) right besides the edges. So that was really crazy. And I somehow managed to ski down and get eight, which I somehow forgot. I forget this sometimes, but it was, it's so crazy. And then I crashed into the finish area, which in the end um, I see as, as a lucky coincidence, because if I would have crashed um, earlier, there would have been no chance to yeah, ski the day after, because in the finish area, there there's not enough, enough space to, to crash. <laughs> and yeah, I, I hit my head pretty hard and I didn't, I in the afternoon I was just lying in bed in the dark because I had a huge headache and the day after I wasn't sure at all if I can make this downhill and what was there were a couple of key moments and one was for sure when when they came to ask me which bib I will choose for the combined and I was I think second to to pick and I wanted the number 1 in downhill with everything I had and I think I was fifth in downhill to pick and cornelia Hütte took the one and and i had 13 yeah <laughs> no no she's great <laughs> and and then my first reaction after that crash because it was just a couple yeah maybe one hour later of one one hour after the crash the coach came to me and said what babe do you want tomorrow and my first reaction was in my mind i thought oh i want like nine or or like later and then I realized okay no I will take number one because if if now I take nine I've already lost I don't even have to get to the start gate and I took one (laughs) and I I've been on the top and it was so great because it was so calm and I I looked to the first jump because you could see that the first jump from the start and I told myself okay you can see on the left there's a lot of space. So if you feel really bad, you have the space to 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 go out and and like break and and it's okay because I have I had no idea how my body will react to to a crash because I never crashed before in a downhill. I'm I'm a I've entered just downhill skiing with 24. Yeah, absolutely. Thank God. <laughs> well, I I did it a couple times now, but <laughs> um, so I'm I'm really glad never really bad. So yeah, I started downhill skiing with 24 year, years old, with a lot of World Cup experience. So I had a not the, the usual path. But yeah, I wasn't sure at all how my body will react. And I had this, this emergency exit somehow. And, and that was really important to me. And on the other hand, I was, I was feeling so at peace, because I, everything was perfect the day before. And it didn't work out I was sure I'm gonna do a medal in the downhill event. I was sure I I was a hundred percent convinced I felt like that for two weeks I was sure um, everything is perfect and I did trainings the way I wanted I had the fastest time in the in the last uh, training except for Ramona Siebenhofen who missed the gate but everything was was set up you know and and perfectly well and then this happened and I realized yeah what what misses you was never meant for you and and what was meant for you will, will never miss you and that was my mantra all day long when I had any thoughts I, I just came back to that and I was like it won't miss you if it if it's meant for you and if it it misses you it, it isn't so that gave me such a huge peace and and I think that's more or less the same feeling that I had in the end's and yeah, then, then I skied. Maybe the hit on the head was also a little harder. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Some coaches uh, I just, might say that works sometimes too. <laughs> just a good rattle of the head might help.
3: Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, that, that was the story. And, and I was almost, if you see the images of, of my downhill at the Alpine combined, you can see how I almost cry in the finish area. And I have been number one. And, and I'm super excited just because I knew I skied a very well downhill. I knew it wasn't perfect. I knew it wasn't at the 110%, but I knew it was 100% what I could do that day after the crash. And it was a great downhill run, absolutely safe and, and still really fast. And, and I was so relieved in the finish. And, that I almost could cry and after that usually the, the slalom would have been difficult part but with the whole story behind it the downhill became the difficult thing
2: mm-hmm. and
3: so after downhill I felt like okay I did that I will be fine in slalom no matter what and yeah that was that was really cool
0: how long was it between the downhill and the slalom portion a couple hours two and a half hours something like
3: yeah there yeah maybe a lot, even a little more I just remember as I had bib one I went back down and, and changed and I immediately went up for warm-up and the other athletes were going there much later so that was great to to have like the warm-up course all for myself and and I went down again um, there was almost nobody around and I just had my headphones on no music because I couldn't handle it with the headache and and like uh, something over my head my eyes to Keep the light out because I still had the headache. So yeah, that that really helped me then to to perform in the slalom.
0: That's so great. I know you've told that story a few times, so I appreciate you going through (laughs) it again. Of course. (laughs) Last serious question. You you seem like somebody when we talked before, and we met in Saspe. You seem somebody who was pretty zen. Like you're like you you have emotions and you talk about them, but the way that you talk about them at the end, you seem very even keel about it, which is interesting. And one of the quotes in your book, um, there's one about um, appreciating your accomplishments along the way. And I think a big part of Zen is gratitude, right? Absolutely. Um, And the other one is you embrace how things change. I think the quote is uh, life is a constant transformation. Enjoy the permanently unfinished state. And I think that is a super cool quote because if you can combine those two thoughts of the gratitude, right? Uh, appreciating everything, uh, like stop, enjoy it. When you have a great day, enjoy it. And, and be, be prepared because it's always changing. If you can combine those two, you can have a pretty, mind, a pretty chill mindset. There's a mindfulness quote I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up and, so I don't hack it. Um, but it talks about what the benefit Mindfulness gives you time. Time gives you choices. When you have choices and you make them skillfully, they lead to freedom. And it goes on, but it talks about the calmer your mind is, essentially, the more energy, time, effort you can put into where you want it and you make more choices there. Is that something that you've always, that's the long version of me asking, is your mindfulness more important now than it ever has been?
3: Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's not something you're born with. Well, maybe there, no, I don't, I really don't think it's something you're born with. And there's a lot of effort to, to get there and there's a lot of, it's not like you just want to be chill and you're chill. <laughs> it, it will never be like that and I realize more and more that it takes so much effort to, to go to the parts of yourself that you sometimes also want to deny and you just don't want to see. And then to to work with them you know and and accept them for for accept yourself for for how you are um, in the good and the bad and, and then to kind of work with it and um, yeah learn how to to handle handle everything because if you understand yourself better you can also yeah, if if you understand yourself, you you can just you know how to to deal with things and and you learn to yeah handle everything around you too and and that's that's a really important key um, of it. But I think it's a lifelong um, yeah work. <laughs> it's not something that you have and then you have it and and it's amazing. But yeah, you always have to strive for it and and get back to it and work on it and yeah.
1: Thanks again to our friends at 4951. We hope you check out 4951.com for all your LISC gates and safety needs. And Cara, the next part of this interview really talks about uh, struggling with the pandemic and, and not training.
2: Absolutely, I can only imagine what it must have been like for uh, an athlete uh, like Michelle to all of a sudden have her season be uh, cut short. Um, so this is a really interesting part of the interview. Here's more of Michelle Jazine on the next turn.
0: With it changing this year, did it change how you decompressed after the end of the season? Did did it did it affect sort of the how you would normally reset and decompress?
3: Absolutely, because uh, yeah, it's it's so weird because it's kind of a flowy thing right now. You know, it, it's still not. I mean usually we, there's no there's I, I, no
0: certainty for you of, of what no
3: nothing at all and and like there wasn't really an end of the season it, it's like it's so unreal still and and now i realize that it's that the season is over but still it feels weird mm-hmm. and yeah the whole like i plan to do a lot of skiing in spring after the races and then take one or two weeks off um with, and now like what, now or one week ago start training again maybe or, or still be in vacations um, more or less um, yeah about right now and, and start training and now I feel like it's end of July and, and I'm ready for for Argentina <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because I've been at home in, in Engelberg and there wasn't really anything to do so I just started training again because yeah, I didn't I mean I took one week off but it, it it gets boring if you're just hanging around at your parents' home house and then then it, it felt like, okay, yeah, I mean, I can just hang around and do nothing really useful or I just get going again. Yeah. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's really weird. And and I know this feeling of like the after season and like uh, where you just completely disconnect and yeah. reconnect to reality. Yeah. But this year it wasn't like that because I think everyone's having that because anything, like there's everything that's so surreal. So yeah, we're at least we're in this all together.
0: Have you, that's true. Amen to that too. Um, We all, it's all different for all of us, but we're all doing something. Um, How's your body feeling? Like, has it, do you feel like because it was a shortened season, you feel all right, I feel pretty healthy. I'm not. To beat up and everything got to heal a little bit?
3: Yeah, um, actually, yes. But I'm not sure if it's because the season was shorter because as I'm racing, I'm doing all disciplines, it's always pretty hard. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, my body feels really good. And I think that uh, we did some changes with the, with the training the last one or two years. And now um, I'm a little older and I have a lot more experience. So I know how to handle. But, yeah, maybe because I didn't hit that point of complete exhaustion of the ski season, maybe it helped me to to create, uh, yeah, healthier <laughs> um, restarting in the workouts again because maybe when you hit that exhaustion to build up everything takes longer, but you don't really have the time from, like, May to July, so you hurry maybe a bit too much, and, and now we just – took all the time we needed so that that's for sure a, a good thing the, the good thing about the whole crisis
0: right and that's i, I was i was talking with alice merriweather um hmm. uh, last week i think it was and and she had a similar sort of thing like it was really weird how it ended but there's a lot of opportunity to 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 reset and approach things a little differently and let the body heal and let she She hasn't been this excited to get on snow in a while because she doesn't know when it's going to be.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I feel it's really important to see the positive stuff because, yeah, there there's so much negativity. And I mean, it's so sad and, and it's so tragic what's happening ar- around the whole world right now. But still, I mean, yeah, we, we have to, to kind of, yeah... Ground ourselves again, mm-hmm. and then look for for the good things or or the the opportunities in in this whole thing. And and as Alice said, maybe it's also good to I feel like there sometimes it's also good to not know what will come exactly because then you're m- much more excited, you know. Mm-hmm. Because if we you you're in in such a like everything comes and you, and you know how it so regularly and you know what will come and how it will feel. So maybe it's really interesting to to change that for once and, yeah, have a completely different summer and, and a completely different summer preparation because which could be even better than what we've always been doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, to, speaking of which, in, in your hometown, when you grew up, did you ski year-round? Were you skiing in the summer most of the time? Is this like the first time ever that you haven't, skied this time of year or yeah, access was, to it or, you know, what was your background there?
3: Yeah, I, I would say so because, I'm oh, sorry, now I can't hear you anymore.
0: Oh, can you hear me now?
3: Oh, yeah, now it's good.
0: I, I was, I was yeah. just saying, is this the first time you haven't been on snow or had access to it?
3: Well, in, in March, for sure. I mean, we haven't been skiing all March. Uh, all of April, now all of May. So m- there have been years which I haven't been skiing in May. Mm-hmm. But like last year, I've been skiing a lot in May in my in my hometown Nengelberg. Engelberg. So that's that's crazy because we planned to ski as long as we anyhow can. And yeah, of course, March without skiing and, and April without skiing is, is really weird. But yeah, I, I think it makes me really eager to go go out there again and and it it can be an opportunity and i think it's it it will be very interesting to see how everybody gets out of this you know with the other athletes and who will be yeah at what point in in the first two months of racing i think it will be very interesting
0: yeah um i actually spoke with uh, the norwegian women's coach to tim and he was saying they've actually been able to get back on snow and, it, you know, the, the Swiss and the Austrians will probably be able to get on snow at some point. No,
3: Swiss not. Swiss not. Are you going to no.
0: you're gonna have to head over somewhere else, and think?
3: Yeah, well,
0: it, no, but I like, heard, I until heard.
3: now, we had no chance. Yeah. Because, you know, Swiss and rules are very strict. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no exceptions. <laughs> no, I mean, that's also very fine. And thank God, because, Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, everything worked out very well for for uh, our, our our government and they they did an amazing job we have to say that but yeah I, I just saw that the Austrians are skiing now since one or two weeks yeah so, I've seen
0: them get on and Norwegians have get on and even the yeah. Italians are getting on soon I heard
3: yeah yeah but yeah we will we'll see what what will happen
0: um, <laughs> perfect
3: I- but yeah interesting
0: it's, it's going to take a while for things to shake out a little, I, I think. But I, I hope it, we take an opportunity, like you said, to just revisit it. It's like sometimes we the, the going down to South, like for younger athletes, not so much World Cup athletes, but skiing in April and May and then going down to South America or, or, or to New Zealand, Australia, and coming back and getting in the snow early. And Sometimes I think we do that just because we do it. And, be, and, absolutely. and and because we can and so i'm hoping that there's going to be certain programs and certain individuals that come out of this and flourish because they've embraced a different way of doing things and, and i think there's a real opportunity for all programs to to take advantage of this
3: yeah absolutely um I'm 100% with you and I know that Luca is too (laughs) because we we talk a lot about that and I'm more um, eager to ski as much as I can than him because he really feels like summer is summer and I started to have that I'd say three or four years ago that I really have a big longing for summer and like have a big break of skiing and I think and sometimes I'm I, I'm really happy and excited to not ski anymore because, yeah, sometimes it just got too much, you know, and, and we were always pushing. And I feel like when I was younger, maybe it was too much often, that all those days on snow have been too much, that it would have been better to take more time away from snow and, and take more time to yeah, do, do other things and, and uh, yeah, to be more excited to get back on snow again. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a big thing. And, and I'm, I'm, if I say I'm, I'm interested in what will happen in the, the first two months of racing next season. It's not that I think that the, the athletes that has have the most days on snow will be the best. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm yeah, I, I'm excited to see it because we all would know that Marcel Hirscher hasn't been the one that skied the most during summer. I, I think, well, I've heard a couple of times that he hasn't been touching any snow until middle of September, Yeah, where we all have been for months in, in, in South America and on, on the glaciers and stuff. And then, yeah, that's, that's maybe one thing we should have taken from it. <laughs> or or some of us because yeah would be would be maybe interesting too.
0: I, I there's going to be a lot of data research <laughs> like there's I there's going to be a, a ton of analysis on it rightfully so, um and it, it, it there's a lot of factors but I think it's going to be really really interesting that's true. A lot of women that I've talked to and I've I've talked to a few different athletes at different ages, there's a commonality so far. Um, right. the way they describe the sport is different from the way that young men describe the sport and what they get out of it. Um, And I think we can better serve coaches and parents and athletes by having a conversation of what do we really talk about? We talk about how do we set something up for young women? How do we coach to them or give, female coaches opportunity but we don't really have the full conversation about it that's the long diatribe of how and now i'm going to just frame these with how many female coaches have you had in your pathway one you've had one female coach in your life
3: yeah but yeah she she yeah she was my coach for maybe one year We had one that's there's actually only this one that I know that has for my knowing (laughs) or like in my career been to Swiss ski as a female coach but no I'm I'm not right one ski coach and now there's since a couple of years a female um, physical training uh, coach in in european cup in the european cup group
0: has but have you ever wanted one have you ever have you ever even questioned it have you even thought like i wonder if that would be any different i don't want to lead you here down a path you don't want to go but do you even think of it
3: yeah, absolutely. Because I got a, a couple friends that are pushing right now, and and that they, they are coaches. They're they're coaching um, younger athletes, so in in like uh, U14, U16, um, girl, female, women, <laughs> and and I think they're doing a really good job. But I never thought of I want a woman as a coach. I just want a great coach, and it doesn't at all matter if if she or he is like the gender doesn't really matter i think because you just want a, a great coach to to connect with and and that you have like the same ideas and and then that can make you get excited about the sport i think that's the at the end that's always the main um yeah main thing about about the coach he has to make you and keep you excited and if it's just by throwing a million exercises at you or, or by, I don't know, <laughs> let, you, let you ski for, for like hours, the same, the same parkour. It's whatever it is, it doesn't matter at all if, if it's a woman or a man, I, I think. So yeah, it, it, I would love to see more, more female coaches. Absolutely, because it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy.
0: <laughs> Tell me about the culture on the Swiss women's team. I guess what do you get out of like what is the environment you get out from your coaches from your teammates what is that like when you sit at a team meeting
3: I have to say in in our tech team we are together since more or less like the the main team I'd say is together since uh, eight years now so it's really good really really good um, because even if I'm not like I'm absolutely not um, the same as as everybody in this in this group, but and we're all very different. There's some that are completely different, and some that that go along perfectly with like easy, flowy, no drama, no discussion, everything. But it, there's there's everything. But I know that I can rely on every one of them um, for. In every situation, in every moment, and I think Wendy Holdener and, and I we have been very lucky to have this structure, um, yeah, for for so many years now. And even though I mean, it's like her coach. That's more like yeah, it's it's always a little different, and sometimes we have different plannings and stuff. But still, I know if it's if it's hard or or going to gets tough or whatever. I can rely on, on every single one of them. And, and that's amazing. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I also not, I don't feel like this, you know, jealousy or, or like always stressed feeling of maybe losing the job or yeah, maybe also egoism of, of the coaches that want to put themselves first. So'm I'm, I'm very glad to to have that in in our team, and I really I, I know that that's not the the usual case. I, I know that we're very lucky.
0: Um, I, two questions. One being what what do you do you have a conversation with the team about this is how we interact, or did it just sort of happen? that you're in this, and if you did have the conversation about how you engage each other, what are the rules of engagement, <laughs> I guess? What are your values as the team that you've come up with?
3: I think we grew together like that because we also had the time, you know. Um, usually teams don't have the time to do that because uh, every every second year at least so much changes, You know, and, and the coaches change and stuff. So I think we really grew into that and we learned to, to know each other so well that after, I'd say the first two or three years have't been that easy because,, as I said, there are a lot of very different characters on team, but after two or three years, we we grew together and and yeah, now it's it's such a big understanding for everyone and and you know, everyone has his own path and you you see that much better when when you're together for so long and it, it becomes like yeah you really like family because you know their story and and then you also know their hardships and and you understand everything much better
0: have you mentioned family as in a family there's ups and downs right um I don't necessarily want to get into the ups and downs of what they are, but have there been times where things are really, really going well with the group and success is right there and times when the vibe of the team is not as good or your environment, your communication with your coach or your parents or whoever parts of your life just aren't in order and they're not in success, I guess, do they match up? Like the times that everything get or or sometimes is it different
3: well i think we we've had everything (laughs) sometimes there's success even though there's like a big mess around you yeah but i don't think it's very long lasting like this way you know if if uh, everything goes to pieces or breaks to pieces around you, you can't keep up the success for very long. And and that's what I appreciate extremely about this team, that, um, yeah, it gives me such a stable environment so that, that we could create this pretty long-lasting success for our team right now, already for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's really-
0: Yeah, it seems to be working.
3: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
0: Um, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. I, and I hope that um, you'll let me reach out along the way and as you get back on snow and throughout the season, because sure. it's, it's so easy to cheer for you. And <laughs> um, you. It, it really is. And um, from the time that you gave to the girls um, in San Fe a couple of years ago, to so this, um, it really shows that your character that you're willing to give back to the sport that's given So, Thank you very much. <laughs>
3: Of course.
0: <laughs> Welcome back. First I want to say thanks to Michelle um for her time and her candor and her openness. It was really fun to to sit with her and enjoy her personality, but just to learn from somebody um, who's just at our absolute peak right now um, we're going to conclude our show as we do on a regular basis sharing our thoughts of the day it's just a moment for us to tell you what our takeaways are and as always please send your thoughts of the day to thenextturn.com and we'll uh, read them there but jeff what are your thoughts of the day on michelle
1: well, you know, Martin, as a ski racing parent, I, I love the fact that she talked about her parents and the dynamic and how they got into skiing and how her dad was there at every race and, you know, critiquing the first five gates and the next five gates. And then all of a sudden, at a certain point in her her development, he just let her go. So, and and I thought, like, It was kind of like me a a little bit, letting my, my kids go at a certain point, you know, you teach them to ski, you have them on the harness, you do all that stuff, you put them into the sport and you hope that someday you can ski anywhere in the world with them. And then all of a sudden it happens. And then at a certain point you go, rest is up to you. Yeah, that's,
0: yeah, that's a great feeling as a parent. That's an interesting take Kara, What are your thoughts of the day?
2: Well, a bit of an offshoot of what Jeff just said. Um, when Michelle talked about uh, athletes needing to take ownership um, at a young age, that really resonated with me uh, because I, I believe, as she does, that young athletes need to take care of their own shit because they need to be uh, in it for themselves. They need to be the ones that want this. They need to uh, real- realize their own dreams, not their parents' dreams. It has to be up to them, and they have to be the one that works hard. I just found that was so cool for her to say. I'd never heard anyone put it that way, but it makes so much sense.
0: We've joked about that before, Jeff, right? Ownership from the Latin root, own your shit. I
1: right? love It's a that.
0: big deal. It's, it's a really big deal for athletes and we need to teach them how to do that. Not just expect them to do it one day, but teach them how to do it. Um, thank you for that, Cara. For me, you know, talking to Michelle, she and, and having the privilege of meeting her a few times, she's at peace. She's, chill she's nice you can just feel it um when you're around her and I think that helps her it helps her deal with deals with the highs and lows that the sport offers and that's a huge part of why she's so good right now um I think to compete for the overall um the way that she is this year and you you have to have a really good um plan but you have to have a really good plan B and plan C and be able to adjust and and move with that quickly. And she seems to be able to do that. And she's got all those plans and she's fluid and she's humble and she's grateful. And she's just like a smooth skier, like with the silkiness of someone like Rennie Schneider back in the day. I don't know, she's, she's a pure all round skier. She's a great human. With the world championships coming up and the Olympics next year and next few years of the overall, I don't know. I, I don't see a, a way to bet against her, so. She does the to your I'll point, do.
2: Martin. She she seems like she's hyper evolved. Like she she's been on the circuit for what seven years now, uh, maybe more. And and she's I just feel like she's as you said she's calm she's centered she's got her mind on on things that really matter she's letting go of the shit that doesn't matter she's not getting sidetracked by a bad cup of coffee or forgetting her footbeds one day she's uh, she's keeping it all in check and she's keeping her eye on the prize it's it's amazing it's very inspiring
0: mhm i think that's i think that's really really true um watch out michelle Jacine. um thanks again for um joining us this week um, with Michelle Dussey next week, we have a great interview, a, a broad-ranging interview with 1984 Olympic gold medalist Deb Armstrong, who is very outspoken and has a lot of progressive ideas, and it's really interesting take. So, thank you very much for joining Jeff, Kara, and myself here at the Next Turn. We'll see you soon.